Thank you for coming to Palm Vista this morning to hear the word of God. And we are in the midst of a series in the Gospel of Mark. It's one of the books of the New Testament. It's the second book of the New Testament. And we just think that the Gospel of Mark is incredible. And for that reason, we have titled our series, Incredible. And for those of you who are new, that is not a misspelling on the bottom there. That's the Spanish, Increíble. Mirroring incredibles. That God is incredible. Jesus Christ is incredible. And the gospel is the, the story of Christ's life, his death, and his resurrection. So this morning, we are preaching from Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. So please turn there in your Bibles. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. And if you would like a Bible, there's some there in the back. And the title of this morning's message is, Jesus loves the little children. After eight of Mark, the whole narrative slows down because we're really now marching with Jesus from Capernaum, if we can show the map, to Jerusalem. So up to chapter eight and chapters eight and nine, Jesus has been in Capernaum up in the top there, Galilee. He's been doing all his ministry there, a lot of his ministry around the Sea of Galilee. And right after the transfiguration, which occurred just a little north of Capernaum, he now starts walking with his disciples down to Jerusalem. If you follow the brown line all the way down the bottom to Jerusalem. And he's going there to give his life for his people on the cross as a suffering servant. The disciples think he's going there to be crowned as king because he's Messiah. They got the Messiah part right. They got the crowned as king part wrong. And so Jesus has been telling them true discipleship is suffering and serving, denying oneself, taking up one's cross to follow him, and they don't get it. Chapters 8, 9, and 10 are this discipleship discourse. We're right in the middle of this discipleship discourse in chapter 10. So last week, Jesus talked about discipleship and marriage. And we talked about what true marriage is. This week, he's going to talk about discipleship and children. Next week, he's going to talk about discipleship and possessions when he addresses the rich young ruler. And the weeks after that, he's going to talk about discipleship and the glory of sacrificial service. And he's going to end chapter 10 talking about discipleship and faith. Faith is at the core of true discipleship when he heals blind Bartimaeus. But this morning, he's going to talk about discipleship and children. And so it's a little tricky. This morning's... um, text is a little tricky. It's a short text. It's only three verses, but he's, he's doing two things, if you will follow me here this morning. We titled this, the sermon, Jesus Loves the Little Children, because he uses children to do two things in the context of discipleship. What is a true disciple? Firstly, he's going to talk to us about why, why he loves children. And then secondly, he's going to talk to us about what children Teach us. Actually, he's going to say, I love children because of their intrinsic value as image bearers of God, and I love children because I'm going to use them to teach you about the kingdom of God, about, about what true discipleship is. As a matter of fact, Danny Aiken, in his commentary on the book of Mark, I think summarizes the main point this morning of our text. Before we read the text, we're going to pray again, but I want you to get this in your head and see if you can see this in these verses. Jesus loves children for who they are, a work of his sovereign father. And that was not understood back then. The first century Roman world, the Hellenistic world, did not value children 
at all for their image of God, intrinsic sort of value as, as, as a sovereign work of God. We're going to see that in a moment. And he also loves children for what they teach, how someone enters the kingdom of God. So this is that idea of how do I follow Jesus? How do I even enter the kingdom of God? And he's going to use children to teach us how that occurs. And so as we begin and as we prepare our hearts to to read this text and to hear this text, I just want to pray again that it gain traction in our hearts, that we can now kind of clear our minds of all the stuff that has happened, whatever things you brought in here, whatever worries you came with, and that you really would hear God's word. And if you are not in the kingdom of God, that this morning you would hear what entrance into God's kingdom, what being saved, what being a follower of Christ is all about, and God would convict your heart, and you, you would respond. So let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would open the hearts and and eyes and minds and ears of every person listening to this message. If they are not believers, Lord, this would be the day of salvation. They would hear the gospel and that you would give them the grace to repent and believe and respond. And for the majority that are believers, you would encourage them. You would encourage them. You would build up your church that we would see you, Lord Jesus. We, We would be strengthened. So thank you for building your church, Lord. We now receive your word, even as a little child would, openly, with faith, trusting you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read the text together, shall we? Let's read Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 13. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. And they were bringing children to him, Jesus, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, indignant, that's a strong word, and said to them, the disciples, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them, the children, probably little infants, in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Now, as I mentioned earlier, children in the first century were not seen as valuable at all. They were the last of all. Remember a couple of weeks ago when Jesus tried to say, this is discipleship, not being first of all, but last of all, being servant of all. And then he grabbed a little baby and he said, if you serve one of these, you're truly great. Why? Because children were considered the last of all in the first century Hellenistic world. The only value that a child has was in how much work they could do in your farm or business, how much money they could earn you, and or that they would be used to further your name, the next generation. That was it. There was no value to children. As a matter of fact, one theologian said that back then, children were typically regarded as an unavoidable interim between birth and adulthood, which... A boy reached at 13. So, so this first century view of children was horrible. I don't know if you knew this, but in the first century Hellenistic world, Romans typically had trash heaps outside their house, and they would take an unwanted child and throw it on the trash heap. And people knew that. So then other people would come by looking for unwanted children on the trash heap. They would take that child, and they would raise that child to be a prostitute a gladiator, or a slave. It's horrible. 
As a matter of fact, it it was the Christian community in Rome who were informed by the word of God, what we're reading right now, we're informed by Jesus' very words right here in Mark chapter 10, and the creation account that says that humans are made in the image of God, they were the ones that came around and rescued the children from those trash heaps so people couldn't exploit them. Well, a lot of parallels today. A lot of parallels today. And exploit them and use them. Why? Because their consciences were informed by the Bible as to the value of a child. You see, point number one, Jesus loves children for who they are. Jesus loves children for who they are. And we are called to love children for who they are as well as we receive Jesus' view of children, which is really the Bible's view of children. Look again at verse 13. They, the people, probably, by the way, these were the fathers that were bringing the children. Some theologians think that it might have been older siblings that were bringing the children to Jesus. And in verse 13, we see that they were bringing them to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus was not happy with the disciples. We see in verse 14 that, that he, he was indignant. That word indignant is a very strong word. It's, it's the only time it's used in the Gospels, right here. Jesus is righteously angry at his disciples because he is revealing his compassion for the helpless, for the vulnerable, for the weak. He's saying, serving one of them is true greatness. You think I'm going to Jerusalem to be crowned king. No, no, I'm going to Jerusalem to die on the cross. And therefore, on my way to Jerusalem, on the pathway to true discipleship, you guys have to understand that it's these weak ones who have no value other than being made in the image of God that we are to serve. And so he rebukes them. He commands them at the beginning of verse 14, let the little children come to me. Do you see that? Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. So, let me pause for a moment. Remember, we're doing two things here. The first one is Jesus' view of children, their intrinsic value as image bearers of God. That's where we are. The second point is going to be a little longer. What children teach us about entrance into the kingdom. But let me pause for this This point. This point may be just for you this morning. How does this apply to how we view children? I would say this. Number one, like the early Christians, we need to be active in rescuing children who are being aborted, used for sex trafficking, being thrown on the trash heaps of our society to be exploited and abused. And thank God that we can partner with Heartbeat of Miami. But we can also do something in our own lives if you know of something. And soon, actually, right now, we can partner with uh, the, the ministry that Kevin Abegg is with. And the name just escaped me. Thank you. Life of Freedom Center. It's right there. Uh, they, are, they are rescuing children. And oftentimes it's children who are being exploited for sex trafficking. And Miami is one of the hubs. So we can get active in that. Number two, we can adopt unwanted children. I look at the smidgens. I look at the gavilans. And that's exactly what they did at great personal cost. God may be speaking to some of you. Get involved in one of these ministries, perhaps to adopt a child. Probably for most of us, here's what it means, this third application point, that we would disciple our own children, that we would provide a home, a family altar, 
that we provide a place and have a vision that I'm going to disciple my children. It's going to start by them seeing my example, seeing me pray in the morning. I was speaking with one of our members yesterday, and he said every morning when he was a young man, he would come downstairs and go to work at five in the morning, and his father was there praying, seeking God, hearing his father pray, seeing his father reading the word day in, day out. That was the example, and I think that's what we take away from here. Fathers, that you're involved Moms, that you understand how valuable it is what you're doing with your children. Society would say, don't waste your life on them. Jesus would say, oh, they are precious. And if you're a mom and maybe tempted to think, man, what am I doing with my life? Oh, you're doing much. See, the disciples said, don't waste the master's time. Get those kids out of here. Jesus says, whoa, I'm indignant against you. He rebuked them. Bring them, bring them. Oh, it is, it is amazing what you're doing. The value is amazing. That you would confess your sins to your children when you sin against them. That you would provide them an example. You would read the Bible with them. Listen, worship with them. Bring them into worship here and let them see that. And if you're worshiping at home, all you're saying is what mommy and daddy do at home, we're doing here. You're training them. And I believe that's a takeaway for many of us. That's a big takeaway. But, moving to point number two, Jesus loves the little children for what they teach us. Or rather, what he chooses to use them to teach us. And that's what we see in verse 14. Verse 14 is kind of like a transition verse. Don't prevent them from coming. I'm indignant at you. They have value because they're little image bearers of God. Goes back to creation ordinance, I believe, in the same way that he went back to the creation ordinance to define marriage. But then he says, at the second half of verse 14, look at it with me. Put your finger on it. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Do you see that? Those last words of verse 14. And that leads us into point two. Jesus loves children for what they teach us. And they teach us, he's saying, look, to these little infants, probably was an infant that he was holding. To such belongs the kingdom of God. That blew their circuits. No, no, the kingdom of God belongs to the wealthy. We're going to see that next week. It's not true. That's what they thought. It belongs to those who deserve it. It belongs to the one who's kept the law. It belongs to the one who's done good works. It belongs to the one who can bring a bunch of attributes to God. And Jesus is saying, no, it doesn't. It belongs to the helpless who can't even come to Jesus, had to be carried to Jesus, have nothing to offer Jesus, are totally powerless and are totally weak. That is to whom the kingdom of God belongs. It blew their circuits. And then in verse 15 he, he amplifies this. He, he gives more explanation to it in verse 15. Look at it with me. He says, truly. And when he says truly, that's a big point. It's like, it's like pounding the pulpit or like raising my voice, you know, uh, verbally. Here's the point. Truly. Here's the main point. This is it. I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. This is the 4th of July weekend, is it not? It's the time to go see fireworks. We did that last night. They were really wonderful. It's, it's Independence Weekend. And you know, for many communities in America, it's a big weekend. But I love being in this community because if I were to ask for a raise of hands, in fact, I think I'm going to, please raise your hand if you were not born in this country. Look around. That's a large number. <laughs> That's a large number. This is a small church. It's a large number. 
And so for many of you, you've either become a citizen, okay, a naturalized citizen, or you're becoming a citizen and you have a green card or you're in the process. And, and that's a big deal here in Miami. It's a big deal. As a matter of fact, this weekend, I don't know if you know this, they're all over the country. There, are, there were 50 large public naturalization uh, ceremonies and over 4,000 people became citizens this weekend. It's, it's a big weekend to do this, right? And for the rest of us, probably in this church, our parents did that. My mom, who's in the back there, is a naturalized citizen. My father, who passed away some 20 years ago, became a citizen. He actually fought in World War II, and that's how he became a citizen. They said, you want to become a citizen of this country? Yeah, if you survive World War II, fine, we'll make you a citizen. And he did, for which I'm very grateful, and uh, they made him a citizen. So it's a, it's a very emotional thing for many of us, isn't it? To become a citizen of this country. And for many people, they came to this country. My parents came, my father came for financial freedom to escape the poverty of Cuba. He did not come as an exile. But for many of you, you may have come, your parents may have come, or you may have come from Cuba, escaping tyranny and dictatorship. You're looking for freedom. You've come from other uh, countries where you're escaping difficult situations. You're looking for freedom. You're looking for entrance into this country to become a citizen of this country. And it's, it's difficult. Reading from the page of the U.S. Citizens and Immigration Services Department, when they're talking about this weekend when you had 50 naturalization ceremonies and, 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 and services all over the country, they say this, becoming a naturalized U.S. citizen is a process that takes years. Some of you are still in that process, or your parents are in that process. It requires knowledge, patience, and support, not to mention thousands of dollars in fees and complete dedication to the history and culture of the United States. And they go on to say, so what better day to take this final step and proclaim allegiance to America than Independence Day? And so it happened, very emotional times. If you've never been to one of those services, I encourage you to go. I was there for the Fonseca service, David and, uh, and his wife, Rodes service. I wept. It was right here, right here in Miami Gardens, right off of 186, right a little bit west of 57th Ave. Man, when all those people are standing... I was just thinking of my dad and mom. Just very grateful. It is emotional if you've never done it. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. What does it have to do with this teaching? Well, here's what it has to do with this teaching. Jesus is talking about entrance into not the United States of America, not the kingdom of America, not our uh, nation, but into the kingdom of God. Jesus is talking about entrance into the one place where we can escape the bondage of tyranny. It's not the tyranny that's political. We can escape the bondage of poverty. It's not a poverty that's physical, but it's a spiritual tyranny of sin and death. It's a spiritual poverty. We're dying from spiritual malnutrition. And he's saying there's one place, and the way you enter that kingdom, as I'm walking to Jerusalem on the path of true discipleship, here is how you enter the kingdom of God. Here is how you follow the king is on that theme and he grabs a child and he says if you're not if you don't receive it like a child you cannot enter it what does that mean what does it mean that the kingdom of god at the end of verse 14 uh, is given to those who are like them to such belongs the kingdom of god is it because children are innocent and pure 
No. Scripture and experience teach us that little children are big sinners. As one pastor once said, they are cute and they are corrupt. No. No, the kingdom of God belongs to those to such as these. The kingdom of God can only be received if you are like a child. That's the only way you can enter it. Here is what Jesus is teaching. And it was much, much, much more powerful to them because they did not venerate children like we often do. Here's why. Because little children teach us that only those who are brought to the Savior, in our case, God brings us to himself, No one can come to the Son but the Father. Bring Him. You cannot come to the Father unless you are brought there. It's the Spirit of God. It's the work of God. We are little infants. We cannot walk. We cannot do anything. Someone has to bring us there. And once they're there, they realize that they're small, they're helpless, they're powerless, their hands are empty. Notice the verb receive. Receive the kingdom. You can't earn it. You can't pay for it. You can't buy your citizenship. You can't take enough exams and pass them. You can't do it. You can only receive it with empty hands. Someone else once said, it is only empty hands that can be filled. How are you coming to God this morning? Now I realize I'm speaking to perhaps those that do not know Jesus, are not following Jesus. You don't claim to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. You're happy in the citizenship, the kingdom that you're in. For most of us, it's the kingdom of self. But I'm also realizing I'm probably speaking to a majority of you that are citizens of the king. I think this has application to both. But when you come to God, how do you come? Do you come with your hands empty, saying, Father, I have nothing that I can bring that can ultimately please you. I'm trusting Jesus and Jesus alone to receive the kingdom. My hands are empty. I'm not coming with my own righteousness. I'm not coming with the fact that I'm a pastor. Oh, receive me here. I'm not coming with the fact that I tithe. Yes, you should tithe, but that's not the reason that you're received. I'm not coming with my good works. I'm faithful in my marriage. I'm faithful to my kids. I work hard. No. Do, Do we come with empty hands relying on Christ's work alone? That's not a small point. That's not a small point. That's a point I want you to think about. I pray the Spirit move in you. Whether you're not a believer, that he would convict you. And if you are a believer, that you would once again embrace the gospel and be encouraged. Because if you think that you're receiving the kingdom or earning it by your works, then when you're not doing well, what do you do? You don't don't get near God. The gospel isn't working vibrantly in you. I think that's what Jesus is teaching us here on the way, on the pathway of true discipleship. It's one whose mind is, I receive it by faith, trusting God. See, it can only be entered by one who is helpless and small with no claim or merit. William Lane in his commentary says this, the unchildlike piety of achievement must be abandoned, i.e. self-righteousness is a huge hindrance at this point. you got to abandon that. And you must recognize that I can only receive this kingdom 
That's what children teach us. That's what Jesus is teaching us using these children. He's saying, listen, you must come trusting. You must come dependent. You must come not relying on your works, but on my work. I'm about to go to Jerusalem and be cursed so you can be blessed. So in verse 16, when he grabs those children and takes them and he blesses them, what is he doing? He's saying, this is possible And notice they're receiving my blessing. And notice, you know they did nothing to earn this blessing. You were trying to drive them away, but I'm going to bless them because I'm I'm on my way to Jerusalem to be cursed so that they might be blessed. They being his people, his elect. Oh, that's a huge point, church. See, see, here's my appeal to you this morning. I, I think it's God's appeal. I think this is what the Lord is speaking to us right now. My appeal is this, will you receive his blessing this morning? Jesus died, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven to give us entrance into his kingdom where there's true freedom, where there's true joy. To break the bondage and the tyranny of sin and death. Listen, I want you to enjoy the 4th of July. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to get emotional like I do. I don't cry in very many places. I will cry at a good parade. Okay, there you go. You can just make fun of me for that. I mean, and you get the, you get the guys marching down. The, I mean, I'm just start crying, okay? I will cry at a naturalization ceremony when I think about my parents and how grateful I am that I live in this country. I, did, I don't deserve it. But, but... There's one independence and freedom that we celebrate this weekend that doesn't depend on the country we're in. doesn't depend on any situation socioeconomically. It depends on Jesus going to the cross, dying for me and rising from the dead to give me liberty and bondage from, from, the, from the horrible prison of sin and death. Oh, that's the one I want us to celebrate this morning. And if you're not here this, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you're not a naturalized citizen. First of all, thank you for being here. You do not need a green card to come and be here, okay? Unlike our country. And thank you for for making your presence here. And thank you for listening to the gospel. But here's what I'd like to challenge you. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're not a citizen of the kingdom of God, friend, you cannot earn it. But what you can do is respond and repent and believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and receive him as a child and acknowledge that you're helpless, that you're hopeless, that you're powerless, and you rest and cling to him. Your entrance into his kingdom cannot be earned, but rather it was paid for by his blood shed on the cross. And that can be yours. When I looked at the oath of allegiance to become a citizen of this country, it was very instructive for me. The first part is on the screen. This is what I'm asking you to do if you're not a believer. This is, in a sense, I'm using the parallel of taking the oath of allegiance to be a U.S. citizen to what God says to do in his his word to repent and believe. But read it with me up there. I hereby declare an oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure. Yeah, why do they put abjure there? Most of these people can't even speak English very well, right? Why do they put abjure there? I think I want to beat whoever put that in there. You know what abjure means? It just means, it's a fancy way of saying to renounce. The range of meaning of abjure is deny, abandon, disavow. Jesus said, you want to follow me, deny yourself. Take up your cross. 
follow me. And what are you abjuring? What are you abjuring? What are you renouncing? All allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom or to which I have heretofore been a subject or a citizen. So renounce yourself. You know who the biggest potentate you and I have been beholden to? Me. My way. My will. And and then Jesus teaches us how to pray. He says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Jesus on the road to disciples says, you want to follow me? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. You want to be last? You want to be first? Be last. Servant of all. Oh, dear unbelieving friend, repent and believe. This is the oath. And it goes on. That I will support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And I'm skipping now to the end. That I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. And that I take this obligation freely... Now, we're not free to take it unless God first gives us the ability to take it. But once we take it, we take it freely. We can talk later about God's sovereignty and man's will. But it's true. You've got to make that decision this morning. You can't if the Lord doesn't allow you. But if he's allowing you to, if you're starting to get that sense like, wow, I need to renounce my citizenship and, my, and the potentate that I've been serving and the prince and the state and the sovereignty that I've been serving, and I, I, I want that. And I can't earn it. I can't pay for it. Jesus paid for it. But I must repent and believe and deny myself. And then I swear my allegiance to the kingdom of God. And I take this obligation freely without mental reservation or purpose of evasion. So help me God. Now, if you are a believer and you've responded to God's call to repent and believe, then here's what I'd like to say to you. May today... May today be your true day of freedom. May freedom ring today for you. May this be your independence day. What do I mean by that? Hey, Al, I'm already in the kingdom of God. Yes, you are. But like so many of us, my father included, who came to this country for economic freedom and fought World War II to gain that citizenship and then for the rest of his life never found economic freedom. For those of you who've come to this country fleeing a tyrant and a dictator politically, you've found another tyrant and dictator in America. And it's called sin. It's called anger. It's called bitterness. It's called lust. It's called materialism. It's called fear. It's called jealousy. It's called coveting. And sometimes that tyrant is worse than a political tyrant. And this morning... Jesus is here to tell us, I went to the cross to pay for that for you, to set you free, that you would receive it. Yes, and walk in it, but receive it by faith. I pray that you would experience your Independence Day, freedom from the anger that is destroying your relationships with your children, your friends, your co-workers, your spouse, or even God. You're just mad at God. And you're in a prison of daily frustration and you're not getting what you want or what you think you deserve. Today is a day of freedom as you receive the grace of God. That you experience freedom from self-righteousness. You come to God with your hands full of your own ideas, your own want, your own agenda. And God wants to set you free to come with empty hands and he wants to set you free from a critical, negative heart and mind. You're in bondage. You drive people away because of your criticality and your negativity. 
And you're in this lonely prison of bitterness and isolation. That you would be free. Today would be your day of independence from lusts, pornography, immorality, excesses, addictions that are eating at your soul and imprison you in daily guilt and regret. You would experience free, freedom from fear and unbelief that entrap you in constant anxiety about the future. You would experience freedom from craving others' approval. Oh, this is the one that I am asking God for freedom from. I'm free. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God, but in this kingdom, I still give in to this, this slavery of craving your approval. Saying and doing things just to get it. And it's just an idol. But today is my day of liberation and independence because Jesus set me free. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and liberty. If that's you. It's to set you free from craving others' approval. You, you know what I found in my life? That one of the telltale signs that that's there is envy and jealousy. And it's like a corrosive acid. If I were to put this iPhone in there, it would just eat it. God wants to set me free. He wants to set us free, church, to be his people who are righteous by his acts, who receive his goodness by the cross, by the resurrection, by the forgiveness that we receive, by his ascension into heaven. He wants freedom to ring forth at Palm Vista. And may it ring forth in our lives this morning. Lies that have been forgiven. Lies that have been made clean by Jesus Christ. Lives that have been, that have been made clean by the one who is raised from the tomb. The tomb is op- has been opened. Nothing can take away our hope in Christ. He is victorious. He offered us this freedom. He gives it freedom from condemnation and entrance into his kingdom by faith in him alone. For he has brought us near. Let us bow our heads and pray. Worship team, would you please come up and join me? Lord, I pray that you would give us now a sense of your your very real grace. Lord, that this word this morning would come, would fall upon our ears as beautiful encouragement. Lord, for the unbeliever here, that person, that man or woman, and perhaps young person, that today would be the day of salvation. Today they would understand, I gain entrance into the kingdom as I am like a child who receive it I come hopeless and helpless. I come saying, I can't, and I repent, and I believe that they would respond, Lord, renouncing their loyalty to other potentates and sovereignties and nations. Actually, probably most of us just to ourselves. And saying, Jesus, I believe. You are Lord. And if that's you, when we sing and we stand, I'm going to ask you to come forward, and I'll be here in the front. And if more than one or two show up, Corey will be here, and we're going to pray for you. But Lord, I pray you would turn their hearts to you. Today would be the day of salvation as your gospel call rings out. But for the majority of us, Lord, I pray that you would bring freedom to that person who's thinking, Al, I I just am in bondage to this. I've always craved others' approval. I'm a person given to envy and jealousy. I'm always wondering what people are thinking of me. I'm always concerned about my image. It seems like it's me all the time, 24-7. It's the me channel. It's all about me. I'm tired. I'm weary, Al. I live, I live in a free country, but I, I feel like one of those people in, in one of those awful ghettos. 
God, today you would give them hope that in you, Christ Jesus, you died to set them free. You rose again that they would be forgiven and you give them grace to change. We're citizens of the kingdom of God and you enable us to live that way. Free from lust. Perhaps pornography. Free from anger and bitterness that's eating away and corroding our souls. Free from fear and anxiety that's driving us crazy. Preventing us from sleeping and resting at night. Oh Lord, set your people free. As we sing of your grace, your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.